We want to officially welcome you to church. Welcome to New Life Church today. We are thankful for each and every one of you. Here at New Life Church, we aim to make Jesus the center of our life, of our church, and of our community. And it is good to have all of you a part of this today as we journey forward. Before our kids are dismissed, we have a few special presentations. Haley, before kids are dismissed, we have a few special presentations. Yeah, it's all good. We'll just hang right there for just a moment. Uh, One of the first things we want to do is we want to uh, recognize the new family that has joined our church, the Levins family. If you could, Levins, could you just take a quick second to stand? Todd's in the back. The rest of the family's here. And I just want to read a couple of things on your membership certificate on behalf of New Life Church. Our founding verse is Colossians 3.11. It says, in this new life. Can everybody say new life? In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and that he lives in all of us. Come on, anybody got Christ living inside of you today? You got the resurrected king. You got the king of glory. You got your savior. You got your Messiah living on the inside of your life. Anybody, anybody excited that Jesus is living in you, that he is for you and he is not against you? Amen. I'm excited about membership. You can tell. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a step in the direction of people who are committed to following Christ and that signifies the Levin's family today. They have committed their life to Jesus, and they, have, they are received today in full membership here at New Life Church, and they have committed themselves to the vision of this house to make Jesus the center of everything. Psalm 92, 13 says, Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Levin's family, that's our hope and our prayer, that we will help you and you will help us all together to flourish and what God has for each and every one of our lives. Can we welcome the Levins family one more time today? And if you are looking to perhaps be a, become a member of New Life Church to discover NLC, we just invite you to text the word CONNECT, the number 2, NLC, to the number 97,000. CONNECT, the number 2, NLC, to the number 97,000, and someone from our staff will follow up with you and take the next steps of your journey together. And last but not least, in the back, uh, at the back of our sanctuary, we have um, something special. It's Ministry Appreciation Month, and so we've got a table set up for our ministry staff of our church. We've already got some note cards and other things there for you. If you would take a moment before you leave today, drop a note in the different baskets of our different staff members who serve and give of their time and their heart to serve you in this community uh, of believers And um, we're going to be doing that today again next Sunday. And if you'd like to bring your own card and gift, by all means, do that next week. And you can drop that in the basket to show your love and appreciation. We love you and we are thankful for you, New Life Church. Now, New Life Kids, it is that time. All the way up to grade six, all the way up to grade six, they're headed out to their class. And as they are headed out, I want to take a moment to uh, introduce our speaker today. She's, uh, come on up, Lori. it's all good. This is Dr. Lori Taylor, and uh, she is a professor of nursing at Union University, but she's also a member here at New Life Church. She filled in for me one Sunday this past summer while I was on a sabbatical, 
and I'm so grateful for you. She's a gifted musician, gifted vocalist, and a gifted teacher as well. And so I had asked her a while back, would she fill in today? Because I was supposed to, I was scheduled to be out of town today. That got canceled last minute. And so I'm here, obviously. It's not a hologram. I'm really here. Uh, but I wanted you to keep the pulpit today and because uh, I know the Lord has given you a word for us today. So will you wel- help me welcome Dr. Lori Taylor? Okay, so I thought that maybe Pastor was going to preach my sermon there a while ago, so he's made a great intro for it. Um, How many of you either are parents or you have parents or you had parents? Like everybody? Yeah. Okay, so what I'm going to talk about today is the fact that our God is the ultimate Father who plans way in advance the beginning and the end were all done before we started, and that he plans for us to have all of the information that we need going forward. We serve this God that Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. He created each one of us, and he knows how we react. He knows that we get told something, and then we forget it and go back to our old ways, and then we get told again, and we get some sort of consequence for whatever we did, and still we forget it and we go back to our old ways and we have to be told again, just like our kids, right? Um, So God, he said here in Isaiah that he has made known the end from the beginning. And that's what we're going to look at. What has he told us from the beginning that is preparing us for the end? Now there are... prophetic clues all through the Old Testament. We all know of all the places that that we take scripture from in the Old Testament. We sing about it Christmas. It's he introduces the Messiah. He he tells us everything that's going to happen in the Old Testament and then brings it to fruition in the new. However, he knows that thing about us that we need to be reminded. And I let me tell you this before I go further. I I wrote this and used a version of the Bible that's not available on the computer. So I'm going to be reading some things in a different version. They're going to have it in NIV up here. But I chose that version, and it's what's in front of me, so that's what you're going to hear. Um, (laughs) I chose it for how it sounded. Uh, King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes about how we are. Generations come and go, but it makes no difference. The sun rises and sets and hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, getting nowhere. The rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. And the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the sea. Everything is unutterably weary and tiresome. No matter how 
Much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're never content. History merely repeats itself. Nothing is truly new. It has all been done and said before. What can you point to that is new? How do you know it didn't exist long ago? We don't remember what happened in those former times, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we have done back here. So the way that we react to things that we should remember is nothing new as well. Human nature is what it is. So I believe what, what God asked me to share with all of us, with myself and with you today, was a reminder about how he, knowing our propensity to forget things and go back to our old ways and not understand and rely more on our emotions than what we know and rely more on our faith like we should— He wanted to prepare us for the presence that he would be providing us with ultimately in heaven. So we're going to look at four different ways that God prepared us, and hopefully it will emphasize to us just how wonderful it is that we literally walk around with the presence of God within us. Now, there's always been a physical presence of God on the earth. In the garden, Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God. And what did they do when they figured out they had sinned? What? They hid. They hid from him. What in the world? They hid from him. But isn't that exactly what our kids would do or what we would do, right? Nothing new under the sun. They were given basically one instruction. They were enclosed in a place where God provided everything they needed and given one instruction, which is don't eat the fruit or you're going to die, right? Okay. And what did they do? They ate the fruit. So the things that I believe God was trying to teach us or was teaching us in the Garden of Eden was, number one, obedience don't eat the fruit. Number two, the consequences of disobedience. You're going to die. And basically, they got locked out of the garden and had to deal with the pain in childbirth and the weeds growing as they were trying to grow their food and and all of the other consequences of living in this sinful world. Trust. God means what he says. He doesn't vacillate. The value of his provision, they didn't realize what all he had given them, and an awareness and respect and an honor for his presence. They were literally two people on the earth who walked in the cool of the day with God Almighty himself. So then after the garden, God spoke to whomever he pleased, right? He spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Noah. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to the judges that were appointed, the kings that were appointed. And one of the the things that I want to point out is that he changed the rules for his presence. To beginning with, two people were in his presence. The next time he 
started teaching us about his presence. He talked to more people than that, and then he set up rules about how that would happen. So after the Israelites got out of Egypt and found their way around and around to Mount Sinai, God downloaded to Moses all of the rules and regulations for the law, right? He told them how to, how to wash their food, how to act, how to act in marriage, what to do here, what to do there, all of the details. Gave them the law. He was like, okay, y'all couldn't obey the one law. Let me just lay everything out and maybe you can get it this time. And then after, after he went up to Mount Sinai, God also gave Moses the details about how people would experience his presence. There were two different basic things. One was how to build the Ark of the Covenant, where God would meet with Moses. And number two was how to build the tabernacle. And God laid it out. Okay, it's got to be this many cubits, and the curtains have to look like this, and the cups and the saucers and the tables and the lampstands. And he detailed all of the things. There was no freedom in pursuing God's presence. Well, let's see. I've got 21 on here, but I'm not sure which scripture this is. It is, I think, Exodus 25, 21, maybe? Okay. Um, this says, place the cover on top of the ark and put, it, uh, put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant, I will meet with you and give you all my command, all my command." commands for the Israelites. He was talking to Moses specifically and saying, okay, if you want to find out things, you have to come to this place. This is where I meet you. You follow my rules. And then after they had followed his rules for the tabernacle, God allowed his presence to be poured out on the tabernacle. And the word says that Moses couldn't even go in the tabernacle because the presence of God was overwhelming in that tabernacle. Oh, let's see, I may have turned my pages too fast. Yeah, sorry. All right, I get to talking, and I know what should be here, and then I have to read something, and I don't want to look at the pages. All right, Exodus 40 says um, that after they had finished all of the detailed instructions for the tabernacle, then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled it. Moses was not able to enter, the, enter because the cloud was standing there, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Whenever the cloud lifted and moved, the people of Israel journeyed onward, following it. But if the cloud stayed, they stayed until it moved. The cloud rested upon the tabernacle during the daytime, and at night there was a fire in the cloud so that the people of Israel could see it. They, this continued throughout all of their journeys. So we go from two people walking with him in the cool of the day to one guy being able to meet him and the rest of the people being able to see where he was but not really commune with him, right? I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what that was like? They kind of got used to, yeah, there's a cloud over there. 
I don't really know much about it. And at night, it's got a fire in it, so we got a little nightlight. Okay, good. And then, over time, they would move the ark, and the presence of God would follow the ark. And if someone touched it, didn't follow the rules, they were struck dead. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people died because they did not approach the presence of God in the specific dictated way. This is the same God that we serve today. So that continued. After the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, the ark disappeared. We don't know where the ark is now. We know where God is, right? We don't know where the ark is now. And then after Malachi, the, basically the last prophet, there was radio silence for about 400 years. God wasn't talking to anybody. There was, it was just blank. No one was hearing from him. There were no prophets that knew anything new. Yet, they, uh, they had the word that had been written down from when God had spoke to Moses and when God had spoke to the prophets. But they didn't remember, basically. They acted just like we do and didn't, could not figure out what actually should be happening or what should happen going forward. So what standards do you think, what lessons do you think God was teaching us and them through this time period where God's presence was in the ark and in the tabernacle. Basically the same things, right? Obedience. The consequence of disobedience. If you touch it, you die. Trust. He means what he says. The value of his provision. God showed up with the Israelites They got water out of a rock. He dropped manna out of the sky. He took care of their needs, even though there wasn't a way for them to palpably be in his presence. And then awareness, respect, and honor for his presence. After the 400 years, then Luke 2, right? Jesus came. The Messiah came. The Messiah didn't come like someone would expect the Messiah to come. The Messiah came in the form of a baby born in a manger outside of Bethlehem. And Jesus himself, which is also God himself, walked this earth for 33 years and showed us exactly how we should interact with God himself. He also showed us, look, men can actually walk out this godliness. Just just hang out with me. You know, Jesus ate with them. He slept with them. He had to go off somewhere and relieve himself. I mean, there was all of the things that a man has to do. Jesus did all those things, although he was God himself. And more people were able to interact with him one-on-one, right? He traveled all the time. He didn't have a home. He traveled. He slept where he slept, and he ate where he ate. 
And one of the other things he did was to point us back to the law because Jesus brought something new in the thing that he was going to do at the end of his time on earth. He was going to fulfill the law, complete the law, and bring in, what did he bring in? I'll treat you like my students. What did he bring in? Come on, you know. Grace, that's right. The standard was then grace. Romans 5.20 says the Ten Commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's law. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see abounding grace forgiving us. Before sin ruled over all men and brought them to death, but now God's kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus our Lord. And then it was time for him to go. Now we all know that he had 12 disciples who hung out with him all the time. And we also know that these guys were just regular guys, right? They were fishermen. They were money counters. They, were, they had all these different professions, yet they weren't really quick studies, even though they were hanging out with God himself. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, and I'm going to try to do it in a grandma story-like, so it'll be interesting, Right? But I want us to see how much, like us, these guys were and and their understanding of what the next lesson that God was teaching us was. Okay, John 14 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you do see him. And Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Don't you know Jesus was frustrated with these guys? so frustrated. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus was saying, look, all you got to do is get down to that simple childlike knowledge 
that I am the way. When you look at me, you see God. Here I am. If you do that, if you, if you accept that I am the way, then you also have the truth, and we're all looking for truth, and you also have life. And another scripture says, and it more abundantly. Jesus continues in the 15th verse and says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he has lived, he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. Yeah, I'm, he basically said, I'm going away, but you're not going to be orphaned. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever keeps my commands is one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. All this I have spoken while still with you, he said. But the advocate which is another job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So basically, Jesus was saying, okay, it's time for the next section of learning. If I don't leave, if I don't fulfill God's plan, then the Holy Spirit doesn't come. Right now, you've got me walking around with you, but I'm not really bumping into that many people. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be poured out on everyone, and literally everyone is going to walk around like they are the ark containing the presence of God which is a huge upgrade, y'all. Huge. In uh, verse 27 there, he said, the peace I leave with you. And strongs in the Greek there with that word means the tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Jesus actually left us here, gave us his peace, his ability to be peaceful with wherever we find ourselves, whatever state we find ourselves with on earth. And he also set us to be fought for by the Holy Spirit as an advocate and to be given truth because that's who Holy Spirit is. He's the giver of truth. And he is our advocate, and he is God. John 16, 7 says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, 
the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So just like the change in the garden, we had that change of Jesus sacrificing himself, fulfilling the law, taking away all the rules, burning all those bridges that kept us away from the manifest palpable presence of God and putting us in the position where we are never alone. We always, when you wake, when you go to sleep, when you're in turmoil, when you're peaceful, all of the states that we all find ourselves in, we are not alone, and we have the spirit of truth, and God himself is our advocate, living, physically living within us. Ephesians 1 says, God has told us his secret. I love it when it says we, we get to know a secret. His secret reason for sending Christ, a plan he decided on in mercy long ago, way back before the beginning. He saw the end, and he said, this is the plan I have to institute for them to be able to get it, for them to be able to get ready to actually live in the manifest presence of the Trinity when he comes back to get us, get, get us and takes us to heaven. We got to be ready for that, y'all. Anyway, God has told us his secret reason for sending Christ, a plan he decided on in his mercy long ago, and this was his purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together from wherever we are, in heaven or on earth, to be with him in Christ forever. Moreover, because of what Christ has done, we have become gifts to God that he delights in. For as part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen from the beginning to be his, and all things happened just as he decided long ago. God's purpose in this was that we should praise God and give glory to him for doing these mighty things for us, who were the first to trust in Christ. And because of what Christ did, all you others too who heard the good news about how to be saved and trusted Christ were marked as belonging to Christ by the Holy Spirit, who long ago had been promised to all of us Christians. His presence within us is God's guarantee that he really will give us all that he promised. And the Spirit's seal upon us means that God has already purchased us, and he guarantees us, he guarantees to bring us himself. This is just one more reason for us to praise the glorious God. So good news. If you have come to that place where you have understood, accepted that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and repented of your sins, just agreed with God, yeah, I have screwed it up. Basically, that's what it takes. If you have done that, whether you feel like it or not, you walk around every day, all day, with the presence of God inside you, resident, ready, willing, able to bring truth, to fight for you, 
to empower you to do the things that Jesus did while he was on the earth, as outrageous as that sounds, that's one of the things he said. So I feel like what we need to do here at the end is I hope everybody in this room has already received Christ. But if you haven't, this is as good a time as any. It is a, it's a glorious thing to have God himself walking around with you. doesn't say anything about you particularly, but it is, it is his character. It is his peace. It is his glory that gets to be shown throughout the world wherever you go just because he has made that choice to live in you. So I want to have, uh, if I can get some leaders to come up here. If anybody needs prayer today, really for anything, or if you, if you feel like you have not made that choice and you would like to, for, to have somebody pray with you, it's not necessary to have somebody pray with you to receive Christ, but it's always a good thing. And then if there's anything going on, if you're struggling with feeling like you're alone, even though you know in your mind that you're not, or if you've got some of the things going on that pastor talked about this morning in need of healing, just in need of peace, whatever the needs are, um, I encourage you to come up here as these leaders come to um, be available to you for prayer. And as people start to make their way up, I want to remind you that this last portion where Holy Spirit has been poured out, Jesus has fulfilled his mission, God has taught us obedience through that. He has taught us the consequences of disobedience. He has shown us that we can trust him because he doesn't change from the beginning to the end. The value of his provision, whether we feel like we have what we want or not, he provides what we need. And then uh, as, as, we, as we begin here, I want to pray for us that we would have an awareness and a respect and an honor for his presence. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you never leave us or forsake us. God, your word says that you have seen the end from the beginning and you have planned for us so kindly and well. Father, I pray that we would have the grace to show you the respect and the honor for your presence that it is due. God, I pray that you would bring a heightened awareness of your presence into each of our lives, God, that we would have the grace to step aside from our own thoughts and emotions and all of the things that just tangle our heads up at times, Father. I pray for clarity. I pray for bravery, Father. I pray for endurance. I pray for... Father, that you would move on each of us to
presence, God. I ask you to have your way, God. In the mighty name of Jesus.